Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing. So we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Hi, I'm David Phillips and you're listening to the 1865 Forest Ramble. I hope you enjoy it. Hello there and welcome to a new season here at 1865 Towers. You might have noticed a little change if you've been following us on social media because we're no longer the Forest Ramble. We are 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. But we've still got the same discussion, the same debate and the same folk behind it. So my name is Rich Ferraro. I am your host. I'd like to say a big hello to Baz. How are you doing? Uh, to the Maradon the Midlands. How are you? And to Tom Newton. Welcome. Morning, guys. Morning. And last but not least for today, to Mr. Stephen Topless. How are you doing? I'm very good. Hello. Hi there. Right. Okay. So we've got a slightly new name. We've also got something exciting to talk about. Now, you know that we're partnered with FanHub and they are um, there to try and put fans first uh, as a group who've been underappreciated by clubs and we'll hear more about that a little bit later on in the show we're also really excited to announce that we have a new sponsor (coughs) so we have a partnership with the terrace and you've probably seen their merchandise some of the stuff is officially licensed by forest so um throughout the season in partnership with the terrace we're going to be able to offer you some giveaways and some competitions and also a discount code so you can get some money off if you're buying gear for presents for yourself for whoever so uh, thank you to the terrace and we look forward to working with you this season now let's get straight into the discussion because there's a lot to talk about but one area where there's not a lot to talk about is incoming transfers so tom who have we signed and what position does he play because there's only one of them yeah i think i pronounced it is it uh, Erwin Horvath, the goalkeeper from america and goalkeeper from 
Oh, God, I Club Bruges, I think he's from. Mm. So, I uh, put you on the spot there, haven't I? You did, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, to be honest, uh, it wasn't a position I was looking to propose to uh, strengthen because obviously we've got decent goalkeeper in Bruce Samba, but whether um, Chris Hewton thought it'd be an idea to um, push him a bit um, in this coming season, that may be the case. But uh, I think with the market at the moment, it's just a bit of a slow process for everybody. Um, we wanted obviously more signings uh, to improve our position from last season, but I think it's just a slow burner like everybody else this uh, summer. Mm, okay. Uh, Baz, talking about goalkeepers, I think we all agree that it's not a position we necessarily would have chosen to strengthen. Um, but let's also talk about the fact that we've had 12 players leave since last season. And one of the problems last season with the squad was having quantity rather than quality. So now I'm just going to put something out there to you. There's not many in that list of 12 who I think we're going to miss. It's uh, some of those that have gone out have been big earners and ones that players that have never really made an impact with us. So that's probably a good thing that we're getting rid of them. Uh, the others that are going out, I mean, as you say, they're, they're not players we're going to miss. Uh, the only thing it does sort of leave us short in is do we need the strength in depth? Uh, hopefully this season's going to be less compressed than last season. But uh, if, I don't know, we had a, an injury to Joe Lolly, which obviously we did last season, who's going to come in and cover for him? That's, that's where the, the doubts come in now. Mm. And Maradon the Midlands, I would argue that of the players who've left, the two who are probably most likely to miss, obviously Ghana, there is just a player there who's exceptionally talented and filled a gap in the team that Chris Hewton needed filling. But out of the other players, I would say probably Christie and maybe either Ribeiro, Ribeiro or Yanu are the players we're missing, just in terms of we don't have other players to fill those positions. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried about Christie, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm very much pro giving youth a chance. Um, the two young players we've got there, Gabriel and Richardson, have played playing in good teams, albeit at a lower level for the past couple of years. Um, so I'm, I'm very keen to see how they get on. Um, they, they're not that young now. I think uh, Gabriel's 21, 22. So. Thing. That's. I mean, if he's going to make an impact at this level, it's now or never, really. Um, yeah, left back. I was surprised that we let Ionu go. Um, I thought with with Ribeiro going, we had two good left backs there now, in um, Tyler Blackett and uh, Ionu. Um, and I thought he was okay before he before he left last season. He okay wasn't the strongest defensively, but I thought that's something Chris Hewton could have worked on. But he looked really good going forward. But maybe he's on big wages. So he did come on a big transfer fee. So maybe it's just purely economical, just getting him off the books for another year. Um, and then, yeah, the, the big miss, I think where we're looking really short is is the central midfield area. We, we don't have anybody who's a direct replacement for Ghana. Anybody who can sort of pass the ball as well as that. So, I mean, if, if we can't get him in, we need somebody of a similar ilk, really, to come in there. Mm, and we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Now, uh, Stephen, one thing that I think was a bit of a surprise about Yanu leaving on loan again for the season was that the week that we let him go on loan, then they announced that Tyler Blackett had had another operation. And since then, we in the friendlies, we've been playing um, Gabriel and Richardson and even Loikam Beso at left back, which suggests that, and, and even back from the dead, Gaitan Bong again. So um, does that worry you slightly? 
It, I think it shows the the standard of recruitment has not been up to up to where we want it to be over the last few seasons. To allow a player like Ribeiro to go in the circumstances that he did, the the reports are that that there was some falling out between him and the club, and that he was allowed to leave and walk away on a free transfer. Essentially, uh, if if Ribeiro was still at the club, it wouldn't even be an issue this position, but. We've gone out and spent money on Ianu. Chris Hutton's had a look at him and decided for whatever reason that he's not for him. We've we've had Gaetan Bong as well on, on good money. And even though he's a player that Chris Hutton worked well with at Brighton, he's took a look at him now and he's decided that he's free to to find another club. I mean, the, the crew pre-season <laughs> game, it, it was, we, we were okay until Bong came on pretty much. <laughs> and then he was just all over the place for the two crew goals and and the game finished 2-2. So he's obviously not up to match fitness. He's obviously not up to standard in the eyes of Chris Hewton for what we're looking for. So it's a concern about the recruitment again for me. And Mbeso, he's he's been solid at left-back, but that's in pre-season games against opposition from a lower league. I mean... If he's starting the game at Coventry a week on Sunday, then I'd be a little bit more concerned because you're just throwing—you're essentially throwing a centre back out to the left-hand side and hoping he does a job for you, and that's not ideal for for where we want to be. And Baz, just to come back to you, I think one of the things that Stephen touched upon there is that we so we still have a bomb squad. You know, the old bomb squad has been cleared out, but the current bomb squad is Harry Arter, Fuad Bashru. Um, We've got Gaetan Bong and Carl Jenkinson in there. And the thing that unites all of those, with the exception of Basharu, who Sabri apparently really wanted, is that they've all been panic buys, haven't they? Um, yeah, panic buys on big wages and um, and they're all um, older as well. Mm. And, yeah. and Yanu actually would probably count as a panic buy because it looked like Ribeiro was on his way out. Bong yeah. was in the bomb squad, et cetera, et cetera. So actually you add Yanu to that list. And and those are players who are being bombed out. So what does that show? It shows a lack of strategy, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I know we're going to touch on this later, but um, that's probably what our new CEO is being brought in to sort out. Um, but it, it is, it's definitely that they're, they're older players, their panic buys are on big wages. And because of that, we're going to have trouble shifting them. So they're going to, they're going to be hanging around for a while, I guess. Mm. Okay. Tom, you... Um, we started with you and, and, and there's this talk that we've had about... Filling gaps such as that that Ghana left. Now, I'm wondering if that gap has been filled in a slightly different way. Because in pre-season, it looks as though Hewton has been favouring probably Colback and Yates as the holding midfielders with Brennan Johnson and Orgeral Carvalho playing further up. Now, do you think that the return of Johnson and or Carvalho could mean that the Ghana position is less important and actually therefore that defensive solidity is more important to cover for the defensive shortcomings of the number 10. Um, I think you could be right there because there's no guarantees Ghana's coming back and it's going to be a matter of like well we've seen we haven't got we've got to um, use what we have at our disposal. So if that's the system Chris Hewton is going to play, then uh, so be it. And um, I saw the Port Vale game and I was quite, even though no disrespect to Port Vale, I think they've signed 15 players in the um, close season um, like us a couple of years ago. 
But um, yeah, I thought Colback was um, pretty decent, to be honest. So, um, and if he can replicate his form when he was here on loan before he come back last summer, and um, and Yates, I mean, he's not, he's a bit marmite, isn't he? People like him, people don't. But um, if he can um, chip on a few goals and um, improve from a player he was last season, then we might have like a, a decent partnership there. So, seeing Gardner's not at the club at the moment, and if Webber comes back, well, who knows? But if that's what Chris Hewton's got at his disposal, then so be it. And if they're going to keep playing them and get a better understanding going into the season, rather than like pinning your hopes on, oh, we might get Garner, let's just like play anybody. But no, they've been quite consistent in pre-season by playing together. Mm. Married on the Midlands, does that answer your fears in any way? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, we've always sort of gone those two sort of solid players in, in midfield. Um, and I, I don't think it's going to be any, any different. Um, Colback, he, he needs to get playing again and playing well because he, he didn't really contribute last season. Uh, we've also got Cafu in there. Um, I was always a bit, a bit puzzled by why Cafu used to play in the number 10 role. Cause I don't think his passing's good enough to be in that role, but as it's, is pretty good for a, for a city midfielder. And it always puzzled me why we used to let make Yates sit and let Cafu be the freer one. Because I think we're missing a trick there. I, said, I mentioned this last season under Sabri before he got sacked that um, we've got a real asset there with his with his running ability and his power and strength. And uh, he could get up and down the pitch and be that freer player. And he's got that ability to uh, time his runs into the box. All right, he might not score very often, but if he's getting into the box, he's going to get some goals eventually. Um, so I've always thought that was a bit of a missed trick from Forrest. Um, and Carvalho, let's see if, if, fingers crossed, he will be getting get a chance this season. Chris Hewton hasn't exactly been gushing about him in the few bits I've heard about him. So he's still, he, I don't think he's still not sure about him. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I'd be quite pleased to see like a forward line of Carvalho as number 10, Graben as a striker, and then Lolly or Johnson one side and, and Meissner on the other side. I mean, to me, that sounds pretty exciting you know, and a pretty good board lineup starts off the season with at least. Mm, OK. Uh, I mean, I guess uh, the factor there, and this is something that I took Aranka used as well, is if you're going to play Gerard Carvalho, you've got to have a midfield around him who are going to do that work because Carvalho... It's not that he's lazy. I think that's a really terrible um, thing for people to say about footballers, say always oh, lazy, because look, I grew up watching Ian Wone and Ralph Carvalho is not lazy in that way. But on the other hand, I think that um, you need to have those solid players around. And whether it's they feel the same about Brennan Johnson, um, who knows? I mean, if, if we do go for that technique, it's going to be that tactic. It's going to be more like the... Um, Karanka style, sort of not have possession much of the time and then just being solid and then just going with pace down the wings and hoping Cavalio or Johnson or, or Mighton can create something for grabbing. It's going to be more of a sort of a hit and run technique again, uh, which I don't think is a, a great surprise given that Chris Hewton's a manager. It's, it's, it's the way he's done it a lot of the time. So I'm, I'm not expecting us to suddenly become sort of passing total football team again. Um, anytime soon. Stephen, I don't think any of us are expecting us to be, you know, some massively exciting to watch. I think um, most of us are expecting a Karanka style, aren't we? Yeah, there isn't really the players in the squad to, to play that 
or if you want to call it total football approach, we haven't got that. We haven't got a player like a Garner, like the Kravinovic who came in last season and transformed the midfield. I think for me, that is a, is a concern that we're going to lose some control in the midfield with, without a player like Garner in there. Somebody who can just take the sting out of things. Somebody who is very comfortable on the ball and can move it either side and, and just give a bit of composure in that midfield. Uh, by all accounts, Ryan Yates, through pre-season, he's, he's actually been getting some really good reviews. His passing has improved and his control has also improved, apparently, which is great. But I, I'm just concerned we haven't really upgraded the midfield with the options that we've got in there. Uh, I think in the in the attacking positions we have, in terms of Brennan Johnson coming back, and, and he's obviously been in form for... For, for the last couple of seasons and hopefully now he gets a chance to to show that in a forest shirt it's just in those deeper positions I still think we need we we do need some new players to come in and, and provide competition and provide us with dif- different options I think I'm a, I'm a bit concerned that we're, we're too samey in that midfield and it might lead to us having similar struggles that we saw in the first half of last season. Stephen are you concerned about the lack of movement in the transfer market or do you think that's just the way it is this year I think it's just the way it is I, I'm not too concerned yet if you if you look through through throughout the whole of the championship not many teams have done real business so far it's a slow market this summer it's probably it's down to to the after effects of covid and and coming out the back end of that it's also probably to do with the euros I think everybody was just so engrossed in the Euros that it's it, it's had a knock-on effect in in terms of delaying pre-season and, and transfers. So I think it, there's every chance that Forest and, and teams in the Championship will play their opening fixtures with the squads that they've got and then look to add throughout August and perhaps even right onto deadline day itself. Baz, this actually, uh, you want to come in on that, but also it neatly segues into what you mentioned briefly earlier, which is that Forest have got a new chief executive. So whether that's going to have a bearing on Forest's strategy, not only towards transfers, but also towards FFP, uh, remains to be seen, doesn't it? What we know about Dane Murphy, the, the new CEO, is, is all on paper, it all sounds fantastic. So he's a very, very data-driven manager, uh, not manager, CEO, but he obviously he's an ex-player, so that's kind of good. He knows he knows about the game from that point of view, but he's also quite business-minded. He does the data-driven thing. He does, um, we've mentioned it before, the money ball thing of analysing the data, looking for the key points that we want in a player. And he's said on record that he's only looking to sign players that are under 26 that whose value is going to grow, which is basically the complete opposite of what we've been doing for the last few years. So on, on paper, that all sounds fantastic. Um, I do have a couple of concerns, which is um, Barnsley, the club that he's come from, they're owned by a group who own a number of um, clubs across Europe. And what they all have in common is they instilled a particular style of football. And we'll have seen it last season when we played Barnsley, which is that very, very high press, um, a very, very energetic style of game. And all their recruitment is geared around finding, having a set system and then finding players 
whose data fits the slots that, that need filling in that system. That's all brilliant. I've, I've been saying that we need a, a, a long-term strategy on the pitch as well for, for a long time. The question to me then is how does that fit with Hewton? Because that style doesn't necessarily fit with Hewton's style, which is much more sort of sit back, defensive solidity, defending lower down the pitch rather than right up on, the, on their goalkeeper. So that's going to be an interesting little dynamic to play out over the next couple of years. Do you think that that's something that will um, be borne out in terms of transfer decisions in the sense of it could be Murphy and his and, and the new recruitment team. So uh, we've got obviously people in place uh, behind the scenes now. They've been recruiting recruiters. Um, so it could be, for example, that the next, if they do look for a new fullback, they're going to look for someone in the Matty Cash mould rather than somebody in a Carl Jenkinson mould. Well, I mean, this is the other. So Dane Murphy made a point in one of the interviews I read with him where he was extremely um, positive about Hewton. He said, like, obviously, a very experienced manager. I've got a lot to learn from him. So the question is, is Dane Murphy going to stick with that same style of play? Is the blueprint he wants the high-pressing type of thing? Or is he going to say, right, Hewton, you design the style of play and then I'll find the data to, to fit that those holes? Um, that's where it's going to work out, I think. And then if, if Hewton's designing the style of play, then that has implicated, and it's supposed to be a long-term strategy, then that has implications for how we're going to recruit our next manager and so on. So all this stuff needs to be thought through if it's going to be done as a long-term thing. Mm. And at the moment, we have no idea how that's going to play out. Stephen? Managers are just transitory, though, in modern football, aren't they? So do you think that it's quite possible that, that Murphy is just kind of saying, you know what, we've got a manager in place, but while I'm putting the structures in place with regard to recruitment and with regard to uh, the partnerships we're going to have with other clubs and, and how we're going to strategize, in that case, let's leave the manager be... Let him get on with what he's doing because he's got a good track record of success. And then when inevitably the manager either is sacked or leaves, then we can look at that for the next manager, as Baz just suggested. That would make sense to me. I think it, that would almost act as a transition between the old regime and the old way of doing things and this new this new approach with Dame Murphy at the helm. And that would perhaps provide... The, the smoothest transition between the two, if you like, having that experience of Chris Hewton and and his know-how to to offer his input. I mean, he he's obviously an experienced championship manager, as we know, so I think he'll have plenty to offer, and Dane Murphy as well, in the opposite direction. He seems like a very open-minded and very switched-on guy, so I think I would hope anyway that he would respect the experience and and the knowledge that Hewton has and and they forge a good working relationship off the back of that. And and they both kind of learn from each other, if you like. Um, As for the, the, the the players that we might be bringing in, I think it's, I think it is important to have that system in place and that those parameters through which we sign players rather than it being a scattergun approach or this players become free. And then the following week, Oh, this, this other player's become free, so let's go and get him because he's played in the championship before. Hopefully there's 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 more thought and there's more preparation that goes into our signings, which sounds like that's going to be the case now. And, and there's been a few other uh, 
few other moves during the summer, bringing in Chris Brass, uh, head of academy recruitment, I believe. So coming in, there's going to be a bit more continuity over the kind of players that we bring in and and the way that we develop players. So I'm 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 hopeful that that Chris Hewton will be able to work under under this regime. I think with his experience, that's I, I think he could be a real asset even as we go down a new approach. Tom, um, Chris Brass and George Sirianos brought in on the recruitment side. Haven't we heard all of this before when Gary Brazil was proudly given his new job, which by the sounds of it is exactly the same as what his old job was, but just with a pay rise? Um, yeah, well, you, you could say that, but I, I just think that um, since last season, I think the, um, the club hierarchy have took a step back, had a look of what's been happening over the last couple of years and hope, hopefully like reimpose themselves in like a, a new way of doing things. I mean, uh, Ventros, I mean, he had a lot, lot of success in Greece and he's tried to come over here and have success in. Obviously, it hasn't worked for whatever reason. So I think the club have been quite brave in a way of and of saying, look, we've got this wrong, let's reinvent ourselves. So I think it was just a matter of see how it goes over the next season, see if it um, works. But I think the biggest thing is that the club have actually admitted that they've made mistakes. I mean, Nick Randall mentioned it in the Q&A with the uh, Supporters Trust. And I think it's it takes a lot for somebody that could just do like what Fawaz did and just keep doing, making the same mistakes over like a few year period. But they've actually said, well, we haven't had any success at this. Let's strip it back and start again. So hopefully um, it's a new dawn for Forest, and hopefully we can build on that over the next few years with Dave Murphy and obviously his associates at the um, at the helm. Uh, Married on the Midlands, just to come to you, a uh, couple of things. Firstly, um, Danny Taylor mentioned in a couple of um, comments that he put on The Athletic that uh, Vrentsos, for all, all the faults and all the mistakes, actually, this is a very positive move because, as Tom just said, this is Yanis Vrentsos saying, you know what, I've been the chief executive for four years now and it's not worked. So I need to step away from that and we need to do something else. And him staying on the board is a sign that he's still got an interest in the club. But it's also him holding his hands up and saying, you know what, I got it wrong. So that's the first part. The second part is, does it give you more confidence, the fact that Dane Murphy is actually a football man, an ex-player, somebody who has lived his entire adult life in the football industry? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think Rentos will probably take over or continue with sort of the business activities of, of running a running a club and, and running all those sort of things. And um and Murphy will will be we well he's been brought in because of his knowledge base, his knowledge of um recruiting those sort of players using the uh, statistics driven approach. Um and also he's a young man and football is increasing a young man's game. It's there's young players, there's young managers and I think all that sort of thing will help him as well. So that communication between whoever the next manager is going to be. I, I've got a sneaky feeling Chris Hewton's not going to be the manager this time next year. But so whoever they bring in next, I'm, I'm guessing will be a younger guy. Um, and that sort of line of communication between players, coach, manager, uh, CEO, it's, it's, it's all very important. Um, also, another important point is that... Um, he brings with him a knowledge of um, players in America and South America. Um, since Brexit, there's no real advantage in signing players from the EU anymore. They're, they're going to have to go through um, work permit things just the same as anybody else from anywhere else in the world. 
Um, and in what they're very good at in the MLS is bringing players in from South America uh, and then and they're shining in, in, in the MLS. So that's another whole new uh, avenue of opportunity that's opened up to us with, with Dane Murphy. And just if he isn't at all involved with the sort of business side, maybe the sort of social media, that's a, a young man's thing. Um, he's been maybe more aware of that than, say, a 60-year-old man who came in who's, who's maybe not so um, in touch with that sort of thing. And just, it's, I, I think, I see it as a very positive move. Mm. OK, Tom, you wanted to come in there? Um, yeah, for all his faults with Ventros, um, he's brought in about £30 million worth of um, deals. I mean, he, he got a really good deal for Matty Cash. He got unbelievable money for um, Arvin Apaya and Ben Brereton, who, at the time, I wouldn't have paid anything. I think you mean Ben million. Brereton Diaz. Yeah, yeah, the the Chilean superstar. Yeah, but no, at the time when we had him, I wouldn't have paid over three million for him, and I'm probably that was generous. So, yeah, for all his faults and um, and, and mistakes, I think Bentros did get some unbelievable deals for this uh, football club. Okay, like I said earlier, we probably haven't spent the money in the best way, but to get those deals for those players, who, I mean, Matikash only had like one season at fullback, and we turned him to like a sixty million pound player. So. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, for all his mistakes, he did uh, do some good things uh, for the club in these four years here. OK, Stephen, did you want to come in there? Yeah, I, 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 it's quite exciting to have somebody who is, is, is so young in this role. He's only 35 years old, Dave Murphy, and he, where, wherever he's been, he's made a real positive impact. You look at what he did at Barnsley in two years to to help them go from a team that, looks on its way out of the division relegated and and going back to league one and they suddenly in the space of two years have got have turned into championship promotion contenders and uh, you know they were a very difficult team to play against and a good team actually that a good team to watch as well with that kind of direct pressing style so there's a I think it shows as we've touched on, the club is willing to learn and try something different, but try something different with a, with substance behind it and with a view to building for the future. You've got a 35-year-old CEO coming in. He wants to bring in players of a certain age as well and look to develop and improve the club through through youth and developing players in the right way. And that, for me, is a real something to to, to feel positive about. Okay, and just before we finish part one, uh, Baz, I know you want to come in there. Um, just something that occurred to me is that, you know, I remember many years ago when you and I reached a point where we realised, I think it was when Paul McGregor was coming through, he was going, the players are younger than us now, and now we're in a situation where the chief executive is younger than us. So uh, just just some food for thought there for all of our listeners. But what did you want to say? Um, uh, just just another point about Barnsley, actually. So there's there's an interesting thing. So Barnsley have done amazing things in the last two years, but that team, that the, the management team, has been dismantled. So Ishmael's gone to West Brom. Dave Murphy's come to us. Um, their their best player now it's gone. Um, what's interesting was that entire strategy that that group set up was about a long term was a long term strategy it's about imposing a style of play and then filling all the gaps in to fit that style of play and that includes ceo and manager they they've they've got a profile for the manager they want they've got a profile for the ceo they want so it's interesting to see will how will barnsley fare once that, that those positions have been replaced again will they carry on in the same vein and if they do 
that probably bodes really well for us in a long-term way, because if Dane Murphy's putting the similar structures in place for us, then again, it's a long-term thing. It's about saying, right, it doesn't matter who the actual people, the, the names are in each role. It's what can they fulfill the job that they're, they're there to do. And, and so they're hiring for that. Yeah. And there's two things that I would just add in there. So one is I read a really interesting article on The Athletic about it, whereby Murphy's predecessor was chief executive, who's only there for about nine months. So Murphy's actually the second incumbent of this new approach. So that's one thing that's interesting in terms of that strategic approach. And then secondly, our friend Carlo from the Reds Report, the Barnsley podcast, he said to me, yeah, I'm worried about it because we're losing Murphy and also the club secretary has left Barnsley and come to us. So he is worried. But yeah, I think from the outside looking in, I think there's a lot to be a lot to agree with there. Now, we have to leave it there for part one. You're listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. Regular listeners to 1865 will have heard us talking about FanHub quite a lot over the last year or so. We're delighted to be joined by Russ Johnson from FanHub today. Um, Now, Russ, thank you for joining us. Please tell us a little bit about why FanHub is important and why our listeners should consider signing up if they haven't already. No, thanks for having me on, Mish. Um, yeah, FanHub is is really, well, we, we see it as really, really important, almost critical um, to, to, to fans of, of football in this country. Um, what, we, what we're aiming to do is, is to change the game. Um, and I know it sounds grand, um, and I'll, I'll explain why in a second. Um, we want to try and take back the game from the big corporate machines that, that are currently owning it. And I don't mean the FA or the Premier League. What I mean by that is, 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 is institutions like Twitter, Facebook, um, Sky, perhaps. So the idea is that, that the money that is generated by us fans, by us content creators, and, I, and I'm a content creator like you, Rich. I'm a Stockport County uh, podcaster. Um, we, you know, when we check into a ground on Facebook, uh, you know, you go, you play, you, you forest away and you go to, I don't know, Borough away. You check in just to show off to your mates that you've checked in on Facebook. Facebook get the revenue for that um, and start to charge big companies to, to push adverts to you based on check-ins. Um, it's probably a concept that everybody's familiar with. The same with tweets, it, when, as you tweet. Depending on what you tweet, you get uh, those advertisements, those promoted tweets that come up on your feed. The same with browsing as well on Google or on, on certain sites, you will get advertisements popping up based on your search history. And we want to bring all that back to the fans and give something back. So face, Facebook, for example, we, we think earn about £150 a year per fan. So if we can bring that back in into a community of fans and reward fans for checking into grounds, for, um, for say, listening to content within the hub, within the fan hub app, say, listening to your Forest Ramble content, fans will be rewarded for that with the, with the clicks that they do. And we as content creators will be rewarded for that as well. So it's about building a community of, of like-minded fans who really, really do want to change the game. We want to bring all that back in and, and start rewarding fans and, and giving them an you know part ownership of this app called FanHub. Okay, so if I am uh, signed up to FanHub and I've registered as a Forest supporter, what do, what do I do to make the most of that experience? What's in it for me? So 
there's quite a lot in it for you <laughs> as a fan, actually. And, and this is where this is where the, the strength of the app comes in, really. So as you as you sign up and you, and you you log in, there's there's a few things you can do that that's really powerful. So you can you can view the Nottingham Forest feed uh, where any content creators that are signed up to the Nottingham Forest feed will appear in there. So Forest Ramble will appear in there, for example. And you can you can click on that and and, and view the content directly in, in in the app. That's really good. What happens when you click is you as a fan get fan shares and you as a content creator earn fan shares as well. And fan shares are a part ownership of the application. So as this grows and gets bigger, you will earn more fan shares the more you use the app. There's other features in there as well. So there is a uh, predict the lineup feature. So pre-match, whoever you've got next, you can you can predict your forest lineup, share that with your friends and there's a leaderboard. You get points for how well you've predicted. You can also quickly look at the other your opposition feed. So if you're playing, I don't know, um, Borough away, let's stick with Borough. Say you're playing Borough away in the app, it'll say, "Look at Borough's feed." So you can go to their feed quickly, maybe have a quick listen to their podcast. Who's you know getting the inside track for uh, for Borough? You could probably do that on the coach up the you know up the motorway up the M1. Another feature is the mileage calculator. So when you are travelling, uh, if you check into a ground, let's stick with Borough away. You check into uh, the Riverside and it will say, yeah, well, you've, you've traveled this many miles, this is how many points you get for it. Um, and you can then go into a leaderboard and compete against your friends, who's the most traveled, that kind of thing. It generates a bit of interest. And again, you, you, you earn fan shares for all these impressions and all these integrations. Um, and critically, you, you, you own part of the app. And as, it, as I say, as it grows, that ownership will increase and increase. Um, a long-term objective, what we want to do with this, um, and this is, this is really important, is as you do these check-ins and you use the app to, 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 to predict your squad and earn fan shares, we're hoping in the future that, you know, as you earn so many fan shares, you might get um, your first pint free on an away day and you can spend that in a, in a pub or, you know, with, or wherever we'll accept it. Or maybe, um, this isn't set in stone, but maybe a £20 Domino's voucher you know, for, for the next day. So you've earned, you've earned some real, you get rewards back. Basically. It's about, it's about rewarding fans, yeah. the real fans that go to the games. So, so taking it back to where you started then, it's basically why should the social media companies and the big corporations make money out of your loyalty? Let's try and do something whereby we get rewarded for the effort that we put in as fans. Exactly that. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Okay. doke. So um, how can, I'm a Forest fan. I've never heard of FanHub. You're talking about change the game. How can I be a part of that? So what you can do is go to your Android or iOS um, app store, search for FanHub and install it and sign up. Um, as well, you can search for change the game on Google and there'll be, a, um, there'll be a, a bit of a presentation that will explain a bit more as, as to the story and, why, and why, we're, why we're trying to achieve that. Once you're in the app, you will need a golden ticket. Golden tickets are made available every now and again. Look out for those, um, and and yeah, and, and get involved. You know, if you like it, start re- you know tweeting it and start uh, putting it on Facebook that, that you're part of this movement. And let's get as many let's get as many genuine fans as we can in this app. And build a really solid community and put rivalries aside. Thank you to Russ for joining us there and explaining about FanHub. So if you want to get involved, as I mentioned there, 
we will be uh, posting out golden ticket codes so you can join the Fan Hub community at various points. We're also delighted to be joined by Ryan Dilks from the Second Tier Podcast. Now, you might know that we've done plenty of work with them over the last year or two. We started off by asking, how important is it that Forrest have a new chief executive with a football background? It's massively important. I've got absolutely no doubt about that. You look at the success that he had at Barnsley last season, bringing in some of the players that he did and bringing in the managers that he did as well. It's so important in modern day football to have a CEO with a track record that he's got. And if you give him the, you know, the funds and the resources to actually, you know, have some leg room, then it, it can do untold good for the club. So I think it's a fantastic move by Forrest. So, Ryan, also, how much difference will it make to have fans back at the city ground? Because they were the 12th man under Sabri and Ito Karanka. I struggle to see because, well, the thing is that all the other clubs will also have fans back. So whether it makes that much of a difference, I'm not too sure. Forest, I've always thought, have one of the better atmospheres at home. So maybe it will have um, a bit of an impact on the home performances. But, you know, time will tell, won't it? Do you think Chris Hewton is still the right man for the job? And I'm not just talking in terms of results, but also in terms of playing style. Yeah, I, I think he is. I think Hewton's the kind of man you've got to give um, a bit of time to and have patience with because we've seen before what he can do at championship level with other clubs. Um, I, I think I posted the other day on the second tier Twitter that he's managed to finish in the top four in every full season that he's had so far in the championship. Not saying that's going to happen on this occasion, I mean, it might, but um, I, I think you, you've got to give him time because he knows what he's doing at this level. He's one of the best footballing minds that there is at championship level. And you give, if you give him the time and the resources, then he will be the man who will take Forrest to the Premier League eventually. And lastly, Brennan Johnson or Joao Carvalho or both? Without a doubt, Brennan Johnson for me. I know Carvalho is one of those players who... A section of Forest fans want to see back in the team. But I think considering the season that Johnson's just had at Lincoln, it would be a bit harsh on him not to be given a chance in the first team now um, for a player instead of a player who hasn't necessarily performed consistently in a Forest shirt like Carvalho has. So, yeah, I, I think you've definitely got to give Johnson a chance. Now, it's very exciting that after a year and a bit of not going to grounds, we are able to return to watch our team. And one of the things that's also exciting is a friend of the podcast, Mark Dennison, is also going to be returning to the city ground as the stadium announcer. And we took a chance to hear from Mark about what he feels about returning to the grounds and how important it's going to be to have fans back at the stadium. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I've, I've had a strange relationship with football over the last, what, year, year and a half. Felt weird not being at the city ground on a match day. And for that reason, I started feeling a bit detached from the whole thing. Of course, the season itself was a bit meh, to, to say the least. Uh, and then, of course, we had the Euros, which I, don't, I just don't want to go over that. Anyway, to get back there and to have fans back in the stadium and to hear that noise. What I'm most looking forward to, I think, is Mull of Kintyre. Mull of Kintyre. And, and then the crowd, as, as I read out the team sheet, 
Um, and just being there, I don't know, the, 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 the smell of the place as well, because it does have a smell. Uh, burgers and Raul Jex, that heady mix. And then, yeah, the sound of the crowd. I, I am. I, I'm looking forward to it. My fire has been reignited. And uh, I think my first game back is actually a cup game. Is that right? Um, and I, I, to be honest, I don't care what it is. I just want to get back there now. And uh, I hope you're looking forward to it as well. And uh, you Reds! Thank you, Mark, for that. Now, returning to grounds, Tom, are you excited to be going back to matches? You mentioned you went to you went to the uh, Samantha Bertels match, um, but you've also watched the Port Vale match on YouTube. There's no comparison between watching something on the screen and actually being there, is there? Um, no, I actually I can't wait. I really can't. I mean, it's not just the ninety minutes; it's the social with your mates before and after. Um, the the journey going to away games, uh, going to like different cities and things like that. Um, and I mean, we took it for granted like every uh, Saturday or midweek game. It's a given that we'll go to a football match if obviously if we can afford it. So I can't wait to actually go back, uh, meet my mates, and just have even if the match is rubbish, you can just have like a general chit chat, a good laugh with your mates, uh, pine down the pub. Etc. So uh, yeah, I, I can't wait. I really can't. And um, like I said, I'm going to the game next uh, Sunday at Coventry. And um, yeah, just can't wait for like uh, what three, four thousand fans uh, going there. And it's something that we've all miss uh, greatly. Mm. And uh, just to come back to you, Baz, one thing that you said in the tail end of last season that I think is important as well is that post-match discourse. When we're all watching on screens, it's all doom and gloom and it's and you miss all the things that are there. When you're having that discussion, whether it be online or in the pub with your mates or in the car home with your, with your family or whatever, you actually have that more broader view, don't you? And that influences the view from the wider fan base about what happened on match day, doesn't it? It's, yeah, because you pick up on stuff that you can't see on on a small screen. You know, even if you've got a giant telly, the, the fact that the camera angle isn't going to let you see, I don't know, the, the player who trips up over his shoelaces in, in, at the corner flag or the fan who's taking his top off and and showing off his tattoos by, <laughs> behind the, the, the goal or whatever it might be. All those little bits that you end up laughing and having a giggle about and, and pointing to your mates about and discussing afterwards that are outside of the game itself. Um, and, and those things, they're, they're part of what makes the whole experience and, and you miss out on them when you're watching it on a screen. And, and just as crucially, it's worth pointing out that, as I say, that affects the, the, the online discourse on the forums and on, on social media and everything as well, doesn't it? Because people have something other than just what happened on the pitch to, to discuss. Yeah, you, you might have conceded a 90-second minute um smash and grab goal at home and be absolutely furious about it but you're still chuckling about the fact that that fat bloke took his shirt off behind the goal and then fell into the nets it it sort of it 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 softens the blow to some extent um and it's that that's again i've always gone on about it it's those kind of things it's not just the football it's everything around it it's the whole experience that's what makes it for us uh, and Married on the Midlands, that's one of the reasons why we did our Magic Moments series. I think we wanted to kind of revisit that idea that that there's something intangible about going to see football and, and the experience of watching football. And and you chose as, as a Magic Moment um, something which was about the excitement of that first day back. And that's why it's the last in our series of Magic Moments is because 
when I listened to you talking about that, I thought this is the kind of excitement we want to generate. That idea of you going there and, and there's something really intangible about going to the match on the first day of the season, isn't there? There is, yeah. I suppose it's the same for every ground, but at Forest especially, it's the, the walk over Trent Bridge, that long trudge up the stairs. That you sort of fly up them on the first day of the season. You don't even notice. And then just standing there, seeing the pitch for the first time, and that sort of you get that butterflies in your stomach. And there's there's the odd odd occasion. It's, it's, it's special every season, but that the Paul Hart game, there's that special buzz of excitement or an extra level. And then and the same when Stuart Pearce's first game. Um, it's just you can't match it with anything else in in everyday life, and it's 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 something we really missed um, over the last couple of years. And uh, Stephen, we're probably not going to have that level of excitement for another season with Chris Hutton, as we've discussed before. But on the other hand, there is that whole idea of you you have that optimism, don't you? And you're thinking, well, it could be this year. It is it is going to be special. That first game back, I think there's going to be that real... People are going to be so happy to be back in the ground. There is going to be that that goodwill and that, that want for the team to do well on that day as well. So I'm hoping that that, that, that groundswell of people coming back, that positive atmosphere is really, you know, it's really going to help us and, and it, it's going to make for a special atmosphere at the City Ground. I mean... The, the Euros is a perfect example. You look at those early England games where there were a smattering of fans and then as it, as it as the tournament progressed and more fans were allowed in, the atmospheres built. There was that real kind of electricity around the ground and around Wembley. Uh, we'll, we'll forget about the final because obviously turned into a bit of a bit of a disaster that probably uh, is best not spoken about. But that idea of creating that atmosphere and that buzz again around the city ground, that's something which I really can't wait to see. Yeah, and I think what's important there is that the, the Germany match was was a, a bit of a case in point because although obviously there's always the concern when England play Germany that there's going to be an unsavoury element to it, what we saw there was that was really the day that for England fans, the Euros came alive, wasn't it, Tom? And, and in that sense... I think maybe there's something about the fact that Forest v Derby is is only a few weeks into the season, isn't there? Yeah, um, and if you notice, like um, with fans actually being in the stadiums, the players just it gave them that like bit of an added uh, boost because if you look at even games in the Premier League last season, it was like very sterile and boring, and but with fans in there, it just gives you that bit more. So and then with obviously Forest Derby um, early in the season um, coming up. I think that will be because I mean the games last season were a bit like okay it was a derby and obviously you had the banter on social media but it's nothing like the banter in the stands and things like that between the two sets of supporters so yeah it's going to be massive when we actually um, play them uh, in a couple of um, well in a month's time. Baz, you'd mentioned um, last season a number of times that it's like watching it's like watching training games, isn't it? When when there's no fans there and. You know, I think that the the derby match in particular could necess- could potentially be um, one that kind of, as I've mentioned, ignites ignites lights the touch paper. I suppose. Um, are you looking forward to the players responding to what the fans are doing? Absolutely. So, like my magic moment was was a derby game, and it was it was the manager responding to to and us responding to that. The whole thing about it is, yeah, it adds an urgency to to everything that's going on in a different way to 
uh, players. And obviously, I, I understand players want to do well and they want to do everything in there, but there's there's always something when you can feel the other people around you and you can sense whether you're letting them down or whether you're bringing them up, then that's going to have an effect on how you do stuff. You get that at work. If you've got a great boss at work, then you work that little bit harder because you can feel the expectancy from them and and that you don't want to let them down. And if you've got a terrible boss, you don't work quite as well. And it's a bit like that when, when we're in there and when we're cheering them on or we're, or they can feel our, our mood flattening then that's going to have an effect on the players. And that's definitely what we saw in the last year, 18 months or whatever. Mm. And uh, Stephen, I'm just going to come to you about your magic moment, if I may, because that's another case in point of how actually being a fan at a ground, you can be having the most, watching the most miserable match that you've ever seen. And, in, and you chose the 5-0 defeat to Oldham on a cold, wet evening with two red cards. It doesn't really get much worse than that. But, but Maradon, the Midlands and I have bizarrely fond memories of going to watch Forest play at Wolverhampton a couple of times or under David Platt where I think we lost 5-0 on aggregate we had about three or four red cards between us there's that Michael Branch goal and even then actually in some cases that galvanizes the experience doesn't it as a fan where you know you know what we're having a terrible time here and if I was sat at home watching on the computer I'd probably be um you know, I'd probably be ranting and raving and, and kicking the cat and all that. But when you're at a match with other people, you actually, you, you lift yourselves. You think, well, we're here now. We might as well make the most of it, don't you? Yeah, there's something special about that, having that shared experience and and sharing it with your mates, with a couple of hundred fans on a wet Tuesday night in Stoke, or a couple of thousand of you going away to Derby on a Saturday afternoon. There's, that collective experience that makes watching football so special and in particular watching football in grounds so special. And it's something that we've really missed. And I think there is a correlation where Forrest and our form really did tail off once, once the, uh, the pandemic took hold. And up until then it, we, we'd had a, there'd been a real, uh, a real momentum between the fans and and the team over the years. It started under Karanka and it has continued under Sabri. And you think of one of the the final home games before before lockdown was the win over Leeds at the City Ground. A brilliant atmosphere, a memorable night, and it's probably one of my most enjoyable experiences watching Forest, certainly in the last ten fifteen years. So. It's those kind of moments that we've missed. You can't match it. You can't match it watching at home through a laptop screen. It it, it really is something that I think we're all desperate to get back to and, and we really can't wait for it. Us? Just, yeah, it, it, it can cut both ways. So I remember maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was a period where we were really struggling. We were, Our away form was significantly better than our home form. And I think a lot of that came down to us as fans putting a pressure and an expectation on the team and they could feel it and they carried it as a weight at home games and could play with more freedom away. So it does cut both ways. Thank you for that. It's time to end the discussion there because now it's time for a game of, yes, it's back. It's Guess That Red. 1865, Guess That Red. Okay, so if you've never heard Guess That Red before, the way this works is that we have five questions in which I'm going to be asking our panel to identify a Forest player from relatively recent times. 
so what we'll do is we'll have five clues to Stephen, Tom, Maradon the Midlands and Baz. If you know who the player is or you want to make a guess, just shout out your name and I'll come to you and we'll see how we get on. So the first clue, this player started his career as a Forest Apprentice and he made 245 appearances for the Reds in the 1990s. I'm not getting much back. I've got to see a blank faces here. So let's move on to clue number two. He made his Forest debut against Wimbledon away in 1991 in a match that was more notable for Tony Lachlan scoring a debut Mardo goal. the Midlands. Go on. Heath Stone. Is incorrect. Yeah, so just to finish that clue, Tony Lachlan scored a debut goal, which was his only Forest goal, and he scored that after 36 seconds. Um, if I remember rightly, he's now part of Sean Dyche and Ian Wone's coaching team at Burnley these days. Along with Steve Stone, I believe. Let's move on to clue number three. This player scored 21 goals for Forest, but just one at international level, which came against a Hong Kong Select eleven. Stephen Scott Camel. Stephen, you were going to say? I was going to say Scott Camel. And so we have a winner, but the winner is a joint winner this time, which is Stephen <laughs> and Baz. Uh, was it the Hong Kong Select Eleven that gave it away, Stephen? Yeah, that memorable goal against yeah. the Select Eleven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. the lights on. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't England? And you know when they went to Hong Kong before Euro '96, did they play a Hong Kong Select Eleven? Only won one nil or something like that. So probably, but I very much doubt Scott Gemmell did the dentist chair. <laughs> um, so the other clues for the record were: despite being selected for Euro '96 and 1998 World Cup. Uh, he did not make a major tournament appearance for Scotland, which he, was de- he described as bittersweet and disappointing. Um, and then finally, his playing career ended in 2007 in New Zealand. In the intervening years, he'd also played for Everton, Leicester and briefly for Oxford United. And uh, Maradon the Midlands, I'm coming to you here because Scott Gamble is arguably your favourite ever Forest player, isn't he? Yeah, one of, yeah, and I've... I think vastly underrated, I think. Um, the amount of goals he scored from that midfield position, the amount of goals he set up and his passing ability, it was uh, is vastly underrated by the majority of Boris fans. And uh, I, he's the up hair. there. And the hair. The hair was very good hair. I wish I had hair like that myself. Well, and of course, the thing that I remember is that... Uh, it was the season after Brian Clough had left because obviously he liked his players to have very neat and tidy hair. And then I was, I think I went bowling in town um, and there's a bunch of Forest players who were walking behind us and we're going, well, that's Ian Wone. And that was, I can't remember who the other one was, but then uh, it might have been Colin Cooper. It's like, who's that? And it was Scott Gemmell. We didn't recognise him because his hair had suddenly ballooned over the summer. So there you go. Nice young men with lovely smiles. And you know what? Married on the Midlands, I bet you're thinking that we could really do with a Scott Gemmell in the Forest midfield. We these could. Days. That's exactly what we're missing. That's that, that, that gel the uh, defence into the attack brilliantly. James Garner, the new Scott Gemmell, said no one ever. He's, 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 not a, he's not a patch on Scott. Not a patch. Not fit to tie his bootlaces. 
Okay, well, I don't think there's anywhere we can go from there. So all that remains is for us to say thank you to Stephen Topless, to Tom Newton, to the Maradon the Midlands and to Baz. Thank you also to Ryan from Second Tier Podcast. Thank you also to Russ from Funhub for joining us and to Mark Dennison for giving his, us his views on fans returning to the ground. But most of all, thank you to you, listener. Uh, without you joining us, then it wouldn't be worth us doing this. Do make sure that you catch up with us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. If you just search for 1865, then we should come up. Do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. And please do leave us a review, particularly if you're on Apple, because that helps other people to find our content. We will be back with match reports and little curios and magic moments throughout the season. So stay tuned and we hope that you'll be able to join us soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.